in preparation. Um, it's it's a blessing to have have a turnout. Uh, we don't we don't often we would say all oh, numbers don't matter, but if if almost nobody came, it would make us a little sad probably. So that was that was neat. Um, the two things I think that stood out to me the most, or or one thing that stood out to me the most throughout the week that I think God was trying to teach me. Um, the, the children that we had in games were, were pretty well behaved. I really can't complain. But I thought it was kind of interesting. On the very last night, the very last maybe 10 minutes, um, we were scurrying around doing our relay race. And we were a little shorthanded on getting the armor back to the starting point because the line was going so fast. And, and what do you know, the two boys that jumped in and started helping carry the armor back to the starting point were the two boys that I would have thought were the, about the most trouble for the whole week. Um, the least likely to hold still, the least likely to listen when you were trying to talk. And I think God tried to teach me something through that. Um, and both of those boys thanked, thanked us for what we did um, after it was all done and helped us clean up. <laughs> and they're young. They're not, they're not teenagers. Um, so I was blessed by that. I know, I know both of their parents. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of energy there that can be put to good use. So that was an encouragement to me. I think God was trying to show me something. Um, as I was thinking about what to share this morning, um, one of the dads of one of the girls we picked up mentioned recently that he, he goes to AA every week. He goes and meets with them. Some of you would know about Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll refer to it as AA. And never really, I never really knew much about the group at all. Um, but he says, yeah, I, I go and I meet with them and try to encourage people every week. And then this week, um, I listened to a short podcast from Breakpoint, about three minutes long, um, titled, What the Church Gave AA and What It Should Offer Again. So Alcoholics Anonymous was established in the 1930s um, out in Akron, Ohio, I think it was, with very strong Christian roots. Nowadays, it would not have, uh, they would not claim to affiliate with Christians necessarily. But it's interesting because of some of their core values, they still offer people a lot of hope. It, it is sad that they don't steer people directly towards Jesus, directly towards the, the power of salvation. But their core values are interesting, and I think those core values would have come from um, the early days. When, when it was strongly Christian-based. So I'm going to share a few thoughts from that podcast, and then I want to read 1 Thessalonians, uh, some verses in 1 Thessalonians 5. But a few things that, that um, AA would still teach, um, one would be surrender to a higher power. And we know that not just any higher power is okay. That higher power needs to be in Jesus. And I thought of this maybe even in how it relates to all the children that came a lot of them that came are churched children. They would, they're probably in church this morning or this evening. But there would be some that were not. And, um, you know, what, what do we have to offer them, not just last week, but even in the future? And I think that's where it kind of hits home. Um, am I willing to invite them over? Um, am I willing to talk with them? Am I willing to invite them to church? But anyway, um, AA talks about surrender to a higher power. Um, we, we know that it's not just any higher power. It's the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Change happens when we focus on, on a God, on God who loves us unconditionally. We're not in this by ourselves. Um, we have a God who loves us unconditionally, um, and he would love to see 
our heart changed and, and more, more uh, open to what he has for us. Another thing that they, they teach strongly is uh, everyone needs a sponsor. You need somebody in your life who can call you. You need somebody in your life who you can call. Um, somebody very possibly who knows exactly what you're going through. Um, and we as a church can benefit from that as well. Um, we benefit from having someone who can sympathize with our weaknesses. And I thought about it, oftentimes when we have a failure or we have an experience in life that was not fun at all, we tend to kind of withdraw, uh, but we should allow God to turn our test, the test that we went through, into a testimony. Because there's somebody somewhere who's hurting and they need to know that someone understands what they're going through. Uh, the lady that was interviewed said that the one thing 20 years later that, that stood out to her, she went through this program, um, was everyone's nearly obsessive insistence that she keep coming back. So I don't know exactly how that applies, but those of you that are here this morning, most of you, if not all of you, come here regularly. You see the value in that. Sometimes you feel like it. Sometimes you could just as soon stay home. But we see value in, in meeting with each other. We need each other's support whether we're feeling strong or whether we're not. Um, so community and accountability were very important in the, in the AA uh, group, but also equally as important uh, in church. Bad habits thrive in isolation. When we're isolated, we're all by ourselves. We don't know who we can turn to. That's, that's, that's kind of a dangerous, dangerous ground. So first of all, let's turn to Christ, but let's also be willing to to connect with people and uh, not allow ourselves to become isolated. Um, another thing that, that they are could say, ah, this is a little touchy, but a group of people, the, the Alcoholics Anonymous group, is obsessively in each other's business. And when we first hear that, we say, you know, it's probably not a good thing. It's probably a, probably a you know, we don't really want people to be in our business, but, but it's all in, in the way that we do it, right? When somebody says, how are you today? Uh, more often than not, we say, fine. I catch myself doing that on the phone regularly. Uh, someone calls, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. And I'm probably, maybe I'm not, but I just, I didn't assume that they actually had the time or even cared. They just said it out of habit. So it's an encouragement to me. Um, care about my brother in the Lord. Care about, you know, Let's care about each other, but let's do it genuinely. If I ask somebody, how are you doing? Really mean it and, and be willing to take the time if they need a listening ear. Unconditional intimacy does us well uh, when we do it in the name of Christ and when we truly care about each other, not, not for a form of gossip or anything, but because we truly care. We truly want to support each other. Church is not just a place for us to hang out with people who, are, who look like us or act like us or come from the same culture. It's a place of confession and forgiveness. Um, if you're like me, you've, you've found out that relationships are often stronger than ever after a time of reconciliation and forgiveness. Um, damage can result from, from bad communication or, or from hurt feelings, but oftentimes if we are willing to to be vulnerable and to ask for forgiveness and, and extend forgiveness, 
relationships can be stronger than ever because they actually have some meat. Um, I don't just care about you because we always get along. Or I don't care about you just because we always think alike. I care about you because we care about each other and, and we're willing to put forth the effort um, to have clarity in our communication and things like that. Jesus doesn't, also doesn't just call us to love the social outcasts because they are all wonderful people that the world has judged wrongly. Um, oftentimes, the social outcasts are difficult, difficult people. Um, Jesus calls us to love the outcasts because he loves them, because they need community too. When I, when I heard that in that little, that little podcast, um, it stuck out to me. Uh, think about how many people you meet going up and down the street each day that just appear really lonely. They need community. We, we feel that here. Um, we feel it in our families. I, I know I take for granted the, the, the loyalty and the relationship we have just within our own tiny little family, but then also our extended family, our church family, um, our Anabaptist community. We have, we have so much there that we often forget there's a lot of people who don't have that. Um, so Jesus calls us to love the outcasts because they need community too. Um, they need brotherly love to run this race with endurance, especially if, they, if they're trying hard to make the right changes. Oftentimes they're going to need to step away from maybe the people that they would have been around, uh, the people that they might have, in, in AA's case, maybe their, their past friends were heavy drinkers and they want to get away from that, so they're they do what they can to, to form a new group of friends. Am I, am I willing to be a, a new friend to somebody who truly wants to make a change and he, who needs brotherly love? Um, the one thing that AA has going for it that I think we can learn from as, as a church, not just our church, but church at large, um, when I enter this door, I don't have to try to be convinced that I'm unlovable. I already know, I already know that I'm unlovable. Somebody who darkens the door of an AA meeting, they're, they're not bringing much to the table. They just said, I need help. Um, I, need, I need support. Um, I, need, I need answers. And am I willing to, to be that um, and to model that maybe to a seeker that would love to come to church, but they're scared. They're scared how it's going to feel if they, if they come. They're scared that they're going to be judged for their long list of baggage that they have. Um, people that come to AA admit that they have a problem, and that's why they are free to be so patient with everyone else's problem. And it's not that we just bask in our problems and, and pity ourselves. Um, we want to make positive, positive choices. But um, I thought that that's profound, the way they, they worded that. So when, when, I come, when I come to church, I want to admit that I have a problem, and through admitting that, uh, I'll be quicker to be patient with other people's challenges and, and their, their hurts as well. Uh, let's, if you haven't already turned to it, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 1 to 11, I'll, I'll read that and it'll be done. 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 1 to 11. But at the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need... Ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety and sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, 
that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Um, the fact that it talks about drunkenness and, and sobriety there, I, I wasn't even really focusing in on that uh, so much in how it relates to the other stuff that I shared, but um, the fact that verse 8 talks about the armor of God, and we talked about that this week. Um, I don't think we'll sing that theme song again, although it's been running in my mind quite often. But um, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Do we realize what that helmet is, the hope of salvation in Christ, and the fact that there's so many people who are missing that helmet? They don't have that protection around their brain, the, the, the faith and the, and the love uh, for Jesus. Then verse 9, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Then the last verse would be kind of that, that fellowship that we, that we desire and that we need. Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. And I'm, I'm thankful we can be here this morning, um, thankful for each other, and thinking of the song that Ken led first, focusing on Jesus and what he's done for us. I'm glad that, that we can focus on on something bigger than ourselves, not just something, but someone, and that is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, without him, our life would be self-centered and, and self-focused, and I'm, I'm so glad uh, for that hope in Christ this morning. Let's bow our heads for prayer. God, thanks for this opportunity to be here uh, this morning. Uh, we're grateful for it. Thank you for a, a good week behind us with, with VBS, and I pray that this could have been an encouragement to these children, and that as we think about the armor of God, um, all of us could, could hang on to that and remember what it, what it really means to have that armor of God. We're not, we're not going this, this life alone. We have fellowship and we have the protection that comes from knowing you, Father. And we're grateful for that. God, direct the remainder of the service. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the day you've blessed us with. Thank you that you are King of Kings. Bless the Lord as he brings what you laid in his heart this morning, that we can be open, that we can worship together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Good morning and welcome to each one that has gathered here with us this morning. It's good to be here with you again. I was really blessed by the progression in those last three songs. Sarah picked the one that talked about God reminding us that these things that we had were just borrowed. The next one was about thanking the Lord, and then the next one was about bowing down and worshiping Him. And I think that's where our hearts need to be this morning, is that as we remember what God has done for us, it causes us to have grateful hearts and then bow down and worship. And this goes along with the message I want to share with you this morning. The message title is An Encountering God. And I want to look at a um, 
prophet who had an encounter with God and some lessons we can learn from that. So this morning I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 6 for a text this morning. This text here gives the account of when Isaiah had the vision where he saw God in his temple in heaven. He saw him on his throne and it moved him to answer the call of God. So I'm going to read the whole chapter of Isaiah 6 at this time. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried, and one cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Then he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and their and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered unto, until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord had removed, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there shall be great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak whose substance is in them, and when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. So as, as we look at this chapter, I want to break it down into five points that I want to look at. The first one is seeing God. The second one is seeing myself, cleansing the call of God, and then answering the call of God. So if we look at the setting here in verse 1, Isaiah paints a pretty magnificent picture for us of God, his holiness, and his power, and he attempts to put into words um, that humanity can understand. And the first thing I'd like for us to consider is that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We see in this chapter the contrast between an earthly kingdom and between the heavenly kingdom, the king of the world. He mentions in verse 1 that this was the year that King Uzziah died. And King Uzziah had been a very successful king in Judah who had reigned for 52 years. He had made some great accomplishments, had peace and quiet for the most part. And if you think about it, if they had a king that reigned for 52 years, this was the king that probably most everybody knew for their lifetime. Many people, this was their king. They didn't know another king. And so this was probably a very unsettling time for them to have their king, 
their successful king, died. In the end of his reign, he did become proud. God struck him with leprosy. But for the most part, he was called a good king. And that became pretty rare in, in the children of Israel's experience, that they had a good king. So to have a good king that reigned for 52 years die was probably very unsettling for them. And, you know, some cultures, having a king, you know, you're loyal to one person. To have that person die would be a blow. But we as believers can rejoice in the fact that our king is an everlasting king. You know, the king of kings who was reigning at the time that Isaiah saw this vision, he's still reigning today. You know, we can get sidetracked sometimes by earthly rulers and, and think that if we get the right ruler in place, the world would be a better place. And they can make a, a, a small difference. But I, you know, just the other day I heard somebody talking about the president when he was in his teenage years and what difference that, pre did that president actually make a difference, that big of a difference in our lives today? He may or may not have, but the king of kings does. He will be on his throne forever. You know, all other earthly rulers are unable to give us true freedom. They all have sin natures just like you and I do. Only Christ can set us free from the bondage of sin and death. Only Christ, our eternal king, can make us whole again. And if we're believers in the one true holy God, we are a part of that everlasting kingdom that can bring healing and peace. You know, and it's a tremendous blessing that this great king of the universe has seen fit to make us feeble human part of his kingdom if we allow him to be lord of our lives. In Luke 17, 20, Jesus um, was talking to the Pharisees. It says, And when he was demanded the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo, here or lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. God's kingdom is within each of us here today that are believers. God dwells within us, and that makes it an everlasting kingdom. You know, as we are an everlasting soul, that kingdom can go on forever if we allow him to be part of our life. The kingdom of God will never be conquered and never, never die. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, the Apostle Paul tells us, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. You know, God doesn't dwell in earthly temples like other kings may, but he lives in our heart for eternity. God's temple, God's kingdom, cannot be destroyed by physical force, force like an earthly kingdom. And so I think that's just such a blessing, and we owe a debt of, debt of gratitude to our Savior Jesus Christ for making this possible. You know, we were once lost sinners, but he has redeemed us with his death, death on the cross and set us free to be the children of God. And also he mentions, he says, the, the greatness of God filled the temple. God's greatness and presence fills and consumes not only his holy temple, but the whole universe. He cannot be contained, and we see, and we cannot, he cannot be contained, and we see his touch all around us each and every day. And every good thing that we have comes from him. The seraphims were declaring his holiness you know, this is interesting that this picture was repeated in, in Revelations 4.8 where John, the Apostle John, as he was on the Isle of Patmos, see the same thing. He saw the, the four beasts and they were with six wings crying out, Holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah and John were most likely referring to the same beings here. 
Can you imagine these seraphim singing this song from the time of Isaiah to the time of John? There's all those hundreds of years, and I imagine still singing it today, the holiness of God, declaring his holiness and praising him. That just challenged me, you know, are we using our time and energy to praise God? Do we tell others how good he has been to us? Or do I use my time to fret and complain that what he has done for me is not good enough? You know, these heavenly beings, they were so aware of God's holiness that even though they were in the presence of God, they still shielded themselves. They shielded their faces with their wings from his glory. We know that man cannot look on God and live. And these heavenly beings were also covering their faces from the glory of God. They were also covering their feet. And I think the significance of that might be that showing the soles of your feet in some cultures is a sign of disrespect. And so I think they were covering their feet in a sign of respect to the true holy God. The seraphim's repetition of the word holy, they don't just say it once, they say it three times. Holy, holy, holy. That gives it more emphasis, more power, more meaning. You know, God isn't set us part by a small degree but a large degree holiness gives us the idea of separation set apart set above and god is set apart and set above above all other gods if we think about the repetition you know for example i might say that i really appreciate you as a church family but if i say i really 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 appreciate you i think you get the sense of i really do appreciate you more than if i just said it once and i think that's what the seraphim's we're doing here in this instance. And I also think, you know, the fact that these seraphims were still repeating this song in the book of Revelation gives us the assurance that God is an unchanging God. He is there for eternity. And also, um, I like the fact that it says, the earth is full of, of God's glory. Not only is heaven filled with his glory, but earth is also full of his glory. And I would just like to read another scripture that um, helps us see a few more details on that. And that's Psalms 33. I would like to read Psalms 33 at this time. I think um, the psalmist, I think, spent a lot of time out in God's creation and we see that coming through in a lot of his writings. And so I think it's good for us to take time um, to spend time observing God's creation. Psalms 33, starting in verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for the praise, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of God. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breadth of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake... And it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven, and he beholdeth the sons of man. From the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety, neither shall he deliver any by his strength, by his great strength. Behold the eyes of the Lord upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. So I think that just, you know, in a little more detail explains God's greatness, um, how we should, it's fitting for us to praise him, and there's many reasons that we should be praising him. And I just want to, you know, maybe think about two everyday examples um, that we're surrounded by that should cause us to praise him. And the first one is rain, and maybe, maybe some of you are getting a little tired of rain now. I don't, I don't know how you are feeling about that, but um, as a farmer, I appreciate rain a lot, and a couple weeks ago, some of our crops were starting to show a little bit of stress from the lack of rain. I know that's hard for you to believe right now, but they were. And so, an acre of one acre of corn takes 600,000 gallons of water to grow well, and that's approximately, you know, if you take a 66,000, 6,500-gallon 6, truck, semi-truck, that's 100 truckloads of water per acre of corn. So that would keep somebody busy for, for a few days. On our farm, we grow about 350 acres of crops. So if all that was planted to corn, that would take 35,000 truckloads of water. In the last week, we, I, when I had checked, it was three inches of rain. I think it's a little bit over that now. So these figures are you know, going to be off a little bit. In the last week, we received approximately three inches of rainfall, which gave us approximately 81,000 gallons of acre which is 28 million gallons over the whole 350 acres. And so I think, you know, as we think about God and creating a way like that for his earth to be watered is quite amazing. You know, that water goes through its cycle again and again and waters the earth and provides life for this world. This is another example that I shared with construction class when, we, when I taught the lesson on creation. And this is about the cells that our body contains. Our bodies contain approximately 100 trillion cells. 10,000 average sized cells could fit on the head of a pin. Each cell contains enough information to fill about 4,000 books. That's each cell could contain the information in, in 4,000 books. And the cells of one human body contains enough information to fill the Grand Canyon with books 75 times. So that's the amount of information in your body could fill the, in your, in your cells could fill the Grand Canyon 75 times. To get the most basic cell, this is just the basic cell, you need 600 different proteins. The DNA is the code for the cell on how to select and assemble these proteins out of amino acids. So if you hear DNA, that's how, that's, that's what puts together the, the proteins that make up your cell. The DNA is about two millionth of a millimeter thick, 
but extremely long. Their DNA from a single cell unraveled is about seven feet long. If all the DNA in your body was unraveled and stretched out, it would reach the moon over 500,000 times. But all the DNA from everyone who ever lived on a pile would weigh less than an aspirin. So that's, <laughs> that's pretty incredible and pretty amazing. And I think, you know, that's just two um, examples. There's many examples throughout the world. We're surrounded by them every day by the greatness of God. And so I asked myself the question, you know, how do I miss the greatness and goodness of God? You know, I let myself get distracted by the worries um, of the world. I focus on myself. And I was just challenged again, you know, as David wrote in Psalm 33, you know, he recognized the goodness of God, he recognized his magnificence, and, you know, I think that may be one reason why David was called a man after God's own heart, because he took time to notice the greatness and goodness of God in creation. So now I want to uh, focus on the second part, seeing myself, and as we look at Isaiah's response to God here, you know, he saw the magnificent great God, and now he, his response is, is what we see next. And in verse 5 we read, he said, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So as he encountered God, this was the cry of his heart, Woe is me. And if you look at the previous chapter, Isaiah pronounced woe on the people of Israel, I think it was five times. He had pointed out the sinfulness of others. He saw the wickedness of the children of Israel and how they left the ways of God. And he prophesied the judgment that was coming upon them. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to, um, maybe we could say, speak truth into other people's lives. We can focus on that. But as we come face to face with God and we see ourselves, we recognize that we fall short of the glory of God ourselves. And this is what happens when Isaiah has this vision of God. He plainly sees his own sinfulness and cries out, Woe is me. You know, woe gives us the meaning gives us the idea of deep misfortune, suffering, or grief. His sinfulness caused him deep grief and suffering. You know, as we realize this, I, you know, I think it should, as we realize the sinfulness, how we have sinned against God, it should cause us uh, grief and mourning. You know, the realization of his, his own inadequacy compared to God's holiness brings Isaiah to his knees here and he cries out in sorrow for his sinfulness. And I think it should do the same for us. You know, our grief should take us to Jesus who can free us from this bondage. He can give us freedom and hope as we come to him for repentance. He also says, I am undone. And as we think about, you know, that's not a word we use much, something undone, um, when we're describing our life maybe. But, you know, as you think about an, a rope being undone, being unraveled, you know, a, a cable or a rope is extremely strong. I recently bought a little, it was probably about a quarter inch cable and the breaking point of that cable was extremely high. But if you unravel that rope where each individual wire is, is by itself, it becomes pretty useless and weak. And so I think this is what Isaiah is saying. He's um, saying, I'm undone, I'm useless. You know, 
In Isaiah 6, 64, 6, the prophet Isaiah again tells us how our lives compare to the holiness of God. It says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquity, like the wind, have taken us away. You know, our, our, our righteousness, the righteousness that we could muster up in our own strength is like a stinky, soiled rag before God. We are like the leaves of a tree, and the leaves have come out now. In a few months, they'll be dried up and blow away. So we are before God. And it's, the other thing that he mentions is unclean lips. And it's, it's interesting to me, like, why did he mention unclean lips and the lips of those around him? But I think if we look at the book of James in the New Testament, you know, he talks a lot about the tongue. And he says in there that the person who is able to control his tongue is a perfect man and able to control his own body. So I think we can see here the, the, the trap that our tongue can be, how easily we can let our words flow, and without much thought or of the consequences, or you know, we can be very careless with our speech. And our words also reveal the thoughts of our hearts and what we're passionate about. You know, if you want to know what somebody's passionate about, spend you know, some time with them, and you probably will find out pretty soon by what they talk about. In Matthew 24, 1234, Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. speaketh. You know, so I think that's how we can see um, what is truly in our heart. If we spend enough time with someone, you know, that is what they're passionate about comes out through their words. You know, we can, we can also cause, you know, much, you know, we can do a lot with our tongue, you know, either for good or for bad. A quote I came across recently says this, Remember your words can plant gardens or burn down whole forests. So we can either plant something beautiful with our words or we can cause great destruction. You know, thinking about burning down whole forests, we think about, you know, the, the wildfires we see in the western part of the country that will burn millions and millions of acres. And it might start with somebody... Um, you know, throwing out a cigarette or just some little spark that started it, but it causes great destruction. I think it's um, something that we need to be very aware of what our words can do. And that's spoken words or, you know, today we have um, our words can go a lot farther and be a lot more permanent, you could say, maybe with our, with a lot of our online things we can um, maybe say through 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 our devices today. So I think, you know, our words are even maybe more important today. But as, as Isaiah sees this, you know, it's, it's not good for us to just simply dwell on, on where we have failed in our sinfulness. And Isaiah recognizes this, and therefore he was able to cry out to God for cleansing. And he cries out in sorrow for his sinfulness, and his cry is heard in heaven. And one of the Heavenly beings comes to him with a coal from off the altar of God. You know, in, in also looking in Revelation, John also speaks about this altar that is before the throne of God. So I think here, again, we can see the, how these two accounts confirm that God is, is still there today. <clears throat> And as I was thinking about the, um, the significance of the altar and, and what that means for us, 
I think it's a very fitting picture that of this altar and bringing the coal down to cleanse him. You know, sin bringeth death, and we we think about an altar. Um, there's usually death involved as something was sacrificed on that altar. Just a few verses about that. So in Romans six twenty three says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord." So the wages for our actions, what we have done, is eternal death, but God's gift is eternal life. It is through Jesus that we can receive this gift. His death on the cross is the sacrifice that gives us spiritual life. He took our penalty, our death upon our death upon himself and offered himself as a sacrifice upon this altar so that we could be cleansed from our unrighteousness. We also need to die to ourselves and be a living sacrifice for God. We need to put our lives on the altar of the Lord. And also I want to read a few verses um, from the New Testament on how we can be cleansed from this unrighteousness. In 1 John 1, um, verses 8 and 10, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. James 5.16, Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. And then in Romans 10.9, says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So we can see here that Isaiah as he saw the, the holiness of God, he confessed his sins. He humbled himself before God, and he was able to receive cleansing. And as we read these verses in the New Testament, we see that this is still true for us today. God is still faithful. He is still just. And if we come before him, he will cleanse us from those sins. Moving on to God's call. In verse 8, we, call, we see God calling out for someone to go and minister for him. It says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. God's still looking for faithful people today. He called Isaiah way back, you know, thousands of years ago, to go and work for him in the, king, in the kingdom of Israel, to prophesy to the children of Israel and what God had in store for them. But he's still looking for faithful people to serve him today. Second Timothy 1.9 Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Because he has a purpose for each one of us to fulfill. As we are faithful to our calling, his name can be glorified and praised. So Isaiah immediately says, Here am I, send me. You know, there seems to be no hesitation as he answered the call of God. He quickly responded with, Here am I, send me. He didn't seem to consider the conditions, what the task was, what it meant for his future. He was just eager to serve the great king who had given him freedom from his sin. Now, are we willing to respond like Isaiah did with, Here am I, send me. And I believe if we have a proper understanding if we have encountered God that we will respond in the way that Isaiah did if we have a understanding of what he has done for us we will be willing if we're focusing our lives 
on our lives and what we want to accomplish, you know, it's going to be difficult for us. But if we can focus on Christ and what he has done for us, it will be an easy yes, Lord. Even Jesus in Mark 10:45 was willing to serve. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, the life of a believer is a life of service. It's not one of being served. And Jesus was our best example of that. You know, first of all, we are called to serve God. You know, he needs to have first place in our lives. And secondly, we are called to serve others. And our human tendency is, is the opposite. We want to be served first. Um, but we need to ask God to give us wisdom and grace to be wise servants of him. As we can see in the last few verses there, a life of service to the Lord won't mean that we'll be popular or comfortable. You know, Isaiah said yes before he heard all the conditions and the reality of his call out. You know, this was not an easy task that Isaiah was asked to do, but with the grace of God, he was willing to do it. So that's how it is for us. As we answer God's call, it will be, you know, as we seek his grace and strength, he will make a, a way for us to, to fulfill that calling. So just a few questions in closing I would like for us to consider that I considered as I studied these verses. You know, have we encountered God? You know, has he spoken to your heart? He comes to us in many different ways. To Isaiah, he gave a very vivid vision to the apostle paul he was struck down on the road to damascus he get, he was showed very vividly to the apostle paul as well but to elijah he spoke to him in a still small voice and so i think it's not important maybe how god calls us but it's important that our ears are tuned to his voice so that we can hear when he speaks to us when we encounter him have we allowed the purifying fire of God to cleanse us from the sins we have committed you know has he called you to serve and have you answered that call have we yielded our lives in service and are we serving the Lord this morning with gladness and joy and I my prayer this morning is that we can answer yes to these and that we can be fruitful in the kingdom of God let's kneel for prayer Dear loving Father in heaven, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for your, your greatness, your holiness, that you are high and lifted up. But Lord, we also thank you that you care about each one of us here today, that your love, in your love you sent your Son, that we could have life as well, and we could have, not only have life, but have it abundantly. And I just pray that as we consider this, as we consider your goodness, the blessings you have so abundantly bestowed upon us, that we would serve you with hearts of gladness, serve you with hearts of joy, and that we would spread your gospel, the tidings of your love, to the world that you have placed us in. Just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.